Good morning. As we continue through our, our series, we have arrived at Psalm 37. And this psalm is uh, unique in that uh, it features uh, the wicked succeeding and evil uh, in our world. And so as we uh, study the psalm and d- discern how we as believers should respond when the wicked win in the world, uh, we, I hope that this text and uh, what I share this morning is encouraging and helpful to you. As a young boy growing up, I enjoyed sports. I also uh, enjoyed the Lakers and loved them, right? Magic Johnson was my favorite player, and uh, I still enjoy watching basketball. In the late 80s, uh, they were going to play the Detroit Pistons in 1989, and uh, uh, going into that series, the Lakers had swept everybody to that point, and uh, the Pistons had just finished a seven-game series against the Celtics. And uh, my mother, who's from the East Coast, decided to bet me that the Celtics were going to win and the Lakers would lose. And... Uh, going to that series, I was pretty confident as a little man that uh, the Lakers were going to dominate since they had swept everyone else going up to this point. Well, in game one of that series, uh, Magic Johnson blows his hamstring and is out for the rest of the series, and uh, they get swept. So uh, at the end of that, I, I cried and you know, went and got my money and gave it to my mom, and it was a good lesson for me as a, a little guy to learn, uh, you know, she was trying to teach me not, not to bet because uh, nothing's for sure. But what, what bothered me the most is that, you know, there's obstacles in life that make uh, it harder. But in addition to that, the Celtics were dirty, right? They were a dirty team back then. <laughs> and uh, if you don't know anything about basketball, I just want to just help you to understand that they had a player named Dennis Rodman who was tenacious on defense but also dirty on defense. They had uh, Bill Ambeer, who was uh, from Palos Verdes, but although he's local, he was still a crook on the court and just, just really rough, and uh, they hurt, hurt magic, right? No, I'm just kidding. But, um, but they were actually called the bad boys of basketball because of the, their, their play type. And uh, so when I look at that, I say, you know, you know, why does God let the bad guys win, right? Why does, why does he need to have the good guys win? And I know that's a simplistic way of looking at it, a fun little story about sports, but there are real times in our lives when we uh, have this type of concern, when we look at the world and we see the wicked win, when we see people that are sinful, that are thriving in business, thriving in all kinds of ways in their lives, but we know that they're thriving because of their wickedness. They're either lying, cheating, stealing, or um, you know, lying on their income tax, or doing various things so that they can get ahead of others, but they're doing so in a wicked way. And we look at that and we say, why does God allow such things? As uh, Missions Night approaches, I'm excited as a pastor here to see our church uh, get uh, a vision for what we can achieve both locally and globally uh, through our missions efforts. But in addition, you know, some of the reasons we do missions is uh, first and foremost to have Jesus' name preached right around the world. That, that's essential, and we're called to do that through the Great Commission. But in addition to that, we as the American church uh, are greatly blessed financially, and we have the opportunity to serve and, and care for and, 
you know, be an advocate for the Christians in, around the world. Um, it's uh, been a great joy of mine to be able to go and lead mission trips over the years. And one particular trip that I, I believe uh, ties well into this text, uh, we, were, we were traveling on roads, and the roads were cobblestone. And I thought that was really strange. There's just strange that you'd have cobblestone roads in a third world country. And I, I asked uh, somebody, hey, explain to me why the roads are cobblestone. They're beautiful, but the, the towns are so poor. And he says, oh, the dictator's brother owns a cobblestone company. And so this you know, reality may seem so, simp- so frustrating, but uh, when you see the magnitude of it as you drive town to town to town and you see the poverty, but you see the roads are so beautiful, uh, it, it causes concern. And the fact that right, this, this guy only really chose to do that because it benefited his brother. And so the cost and the corruption was so evident. Um, and so all of us, we've experienced... Uh, some sort of anger or frustration when we see injustice in the world, but also in our own lives, right? It could be that we work at, at, a, at a company where there's people there that just uh, treat others poorly or push people below them down so they can succeed themselves. You know, those type of dynamics that we can see every day in a Christless uh, corporate culture. In addition to that, right, some companies have this mindset, if you can't beat them, join them, right, this sense of, hey, if, if one business is doing something that's a, a, a not f- fully right, um, and another business, just to increase their market share, shifts their tactics to follow suit. This text is going to challenge that mindset for us as believers. The psalmist David knows this quite well. Right, as he uh, lived his life and was early in life um, anointed to be the next king, King Saul didn't really like that so much because it threatened his power and his prestige as the current king. And so throughout uh, David's life, Saul would persecute him. And uh, as things would go, uh, David would uh, save King Saul and spare his life. And uh, at the end of that, You'd see King Saul be grateful momentarily, but then his prestige, his power, the pleasure of his possessions, his throne would uh, just entrance him in such a way that he would then turn and then persecute David again. And we would see this over and over again in David's life. Another case uh, of uh, the wicked winning is uh, for David was a a rich man named Nabal. Nabal had... Uh, a very large uh, herd of sheep and very wealthy man. And in this uh, account of Nabal, uh, David and his men are, are, are traveling and they come across uh, Na- Nabal's sheep herders and they are being attacked and robbed by, by some evil men. And uh, David's men go and fight them off and save them. They're very thankful and they, uh, they tell him, you know, let's go back to our master's house We'll you know, give you a great meal to thank you for what you've done for us. So Nabal in this instance, right, he saves a large amount of money because they would have just you know, taken herds of sheep away and David's men saved them that large amount of money. And so these guys were thankful for that. So they're going to take him home for a meal and show appreciation. Uh, when they arrive there, Nabal basically says, no, uh, you're not going to mooch off me a meal. Right, go ask someone else and sends them off with nothing. 
And so uh, in this moment, you know, David feels anger and frustration at Nabal, but he chooses uh, not to act. As we approach Psalm 37, it's important to note the text states that this is late in David's life, right? Uh, earlier in his life, we see, uh, you know, personal sin that he has to overcome, all these persecutions that he has to deal with. And so as he can grow through those things in life, those circumstances that sometimes can be overwhelming, David has the opportunity to grow through those and overcome those and to be a, a new man for God and learn a lot from that, right? We too experience anger, jealousy, disillusionment in our lives and uh, when we observe the sinful succeeding in this world. Hopefully this psalm can be a realignment uh, of our mind. And how do we respond? How does God respond? That question can return to us multiple times as we go through life. There's, in the theme of Psalm 37, I believe, has three major thrusts. The first is when the wicked win, trust the Lord and honor him. Second, when the wicked win, trust the Lord will judge, protect, and provide. And third, when the wicked win, Trust the Lord in his divine deliverance. I went with this concept because uh, in our text, this concept of trust the Lord is five times in the first 11 verses, five times in the second uh, section, verses 12 to 22, and then from 23 to 40, it's used seven times. And so a total of 22 times this concept uh, of, of how we're to respond to the things of this world, the challenges that we face, or specifically to this text, right? When the wicked win in our world, how are we supposed to respond uh, as overwhelmingly in this, in this text we see we're supposed to trust the Lord? And then I extrapolated a few uh, ways from our text that will help us to uh, see how we're to trust the Lord. In the first section... Uh, the, the wicked are su succeeding in uh, amassing wealth and power, and it teaches us three characteristics to avoid and three to achieve. In verses 1, 7, and 8, it says, fret not, right? Don't worry about, don't be consumed by. And it admonishes us to avoid envy, selfishness, and anger. In verse 3, 7, 9, and 11, it gives us affirmations to achieve three things righteousness patience and humility let's read 1 to 11 together fret not yourselves because of evildoers be not envious of wrongdoers for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb trust the lord and do good dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart Commit your way to the Lord and trust him and he will act. Bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself it tends only to evil for the evildoers shall be cut off but those who wait on the lord shall inherit the land in just a little while the wicked will be no more though you look carefully at his place he will not be there but the meek will inherit the land 
and delight themselves in abundant peace. In verse 1, we see this concept that, that we are to avoid envy, right? It says, uh, don't be envious of wrongdoers. Uh, and it says, for they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. This, uh, this, this weather we've been having has been pretty hot here, but in Death Valley, it was reaching record highs. And in uh, biblical times, they didn't have modern-day irrigation systems and misters and things like that to maintain crops and plants. And so when this uh, second verse says, they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb, this concept is saying, look at evildoers, people who are prospering in their evil, um, their, their barns and their crops will wither in the, in the sun and they will die out and they will disappear uh, as quickly as they came. So it tells us to avoid that. Selfishness in verse 7. We can see it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way. Right? It's not saying that he prospers in the Lord's way or, he, or just he plainly prospers. It adds this specific text, this concept of in his way. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Right, if the focal point of your life is surrounded by me, my, or I, you might be a selfish person, right? Anger. Anger is the third one. This is uh, difficult sometimes because uh, people can experience uh, great pain at the hands of another. And, uh, and so um, throughout this weekend, we've had uh, people uh, getting baptized. Friday night, there was like nine people to get baptized. And in some of those testimonies, we, we heard stories of how people came to Christ. And they came to Christ through, you know, great difficulty. And sometimes uh, people closest to them hurt them. And so as we uh, think about verse 8 here, it says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Right? This concept that when we get angry, we lose our cool. We lose our ability to... Uh, respond appropriately to situations that we encounter, and it, it can ultimately cause us to sin. In a contrasting fashion, he gives us three uh, affirmations to achieve. In, the, in verse 3, it's righteousness. Verse 3, it says, Trust the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Right Throughout this section, it says, Trust the Lord and do good. Delight in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. All of these concepts throughout this verses uh, uh, teach this point of righteousness. Second, patience, right? We think we're patient, but then uh, we can see through small instances of life where we lack patience. It could be as simple as, uh, you know, waiting for something to print too, too, uh, too slowly out of a printer, and we start to lose our patience through that. We're like, can this thing go faster? Right? Some people aren't even patient with a microwave, which uh, seems crazy, right? It's like... The sheer concept of it, right, the sheer concept of it is drastically quicker uh, than the oven. I'm amazed every time when, um, you know, my wife says, hey, you're cooking tonight, and I look at the instructions, and it says, oven, 60 to 75 minutes, microwave, 3 to 5, <laughs> right? And I'm thinking, how is that possible, right? How is that possible that that, uh, uh, that it can be healthy to, to do it that way when it should take so much longer in the other way. Um, right, but uh, you know, enduring long-suffering 
uh, experiences in life that, that, that uh, cause us to learn patience and to wait on the Lord. Right? We heard um, Haven's testimony this morning right, of enduring hardship as on to the Lord and having to be patient and waiting, wait, waiting for God to remove her cancer. Right? Though she wants it to be removed instantaneously, that, that's a great desire of ours. And her parents and her family and us as a church, right, we pray that God would, would uh, heal her and, and restore her body through that. But uh, God in his infinite wisdom chooses the timing that he chooses, and we don't get to have a, a full say in that. Right? He is God. We are the creation. He is the creator, and uh, we have to trust him through that. Um, more, more uh, uh, situations uh, that, that tie in directly to our text. Uh, I've had uh, a congregant uh, one time that came in for counseling who had been robbed at gunpoint, and the guy hit him with a gun, and uh, he had just re- reoccurring nightmares of the situation, and it caused him to have great rage in his life. Uh, uh, that's an extreme situation. If somebody's you know, been raped or um, been financially ruined by someone close to them, it can be very difficult to wait on the Lord and not to want to have vengeance on them. Third, humility. Humility, verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. This is also seen in the New Testament, Matthew 5, 5, right? This concept of the meek inheriting the earth. This concept of trust the Lord that we'll see 22 times throughout our passage is not just a hollow slogan for us to to uh, thoughtfully consider. It is uh, a course of action for us to embody. It's just something that, it's, it's, it's not just something that's a, a passive intellectual assent to something, right? It's an active behavior pattern that we should change in our lives. At this point in our psalm, God doesn't perform a miracle or even allow David the strength to get out of the situation, right? God leaves David and the Israelites by extension, even us, uh, pretty much where we are and does something beautiful in our lives, the interaction of God with his people, because God works so many different ways, right? He can uh, miraculously intervene in our lives and, and pull us out of situations. He can interact with us where he works with us. We work with God to achieve something in this world. And he can do interaction where he works internally inside of us to do something great and beautiful in us, like build righteousness patience, and humility in our lives. Those are all characteristics uh, of how we would live out our faith. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, right, he was a Jewish aristocrat before his salvation, very powerful, persecuted the Christians, uh, and then in his uh, uh, transition, in his salvation, uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, he says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. And he left Paul where he was with the, the concept of the thorn in the side. We don't know whether it was malaria, bad eyesight, whatever it was. Um, but uh, he had difficulty with that. In this first section, verses 1 to 11, the point is that they're amassing wealth through wicked deeds in the expense of others. They're wealthy because they are wicked. They are not wicked because they are wealthy. And this is a key distinction, Right? They're wealthy because they were wicked. It wasn't that they were uh, wicked because they were wealthy. God is not uh, writing a, tr- a treatise about uh, wealthy here. Right? Actually, later in our text, we'll see that God uh, praises people who use their financial resources to bless others. And so uh, the more we have, the more opportunity we have to bless. 
When the wicked win, we are not to join them in their wickedness. In verses 2 and 10, we see that the success of the wicked withers, and in their end, it leads to destruction. God commands the church to live in the world, but not of the world, to be righteous, patient, and humble. Secondly, when the wicked win, trust the Lord will judge, protect, and provide. Judge, protect, and provide. This is in Psalm 12 to 22. And we'll see here that the wicked are short-sighted. Their eyes are on the things of this world. They're focused on the temporary earthly things in, the, in this life. The things, uh, their eyes are down. They cannot see the fullness of God's created order and eternal life that he offers. As believers, right, we must have through vision to see uh, God's eternal promises and his uh, offer of salvation. And it should transform our lives. For example, uh, back to my basketball analogy, right? It's simple for somebody, if they're practicing a basketball shot, to look at their bounce of the ball, to look at the ball, to make sure their hands are on the ball properly, to put the ball up, say, okay, maybe make sure my hands flick properly. But if you don't look at the hoop, you'll miss the shot, right? You have to know your target and your, the mechanics are something that's memorized. The behavior patterns in our lives should be something that, that we can do. But, our, but is our target and our goal. When somebody's shooting free throws, right, they're taught to ignore the distractions, ignore the fans, ignore, um, you know, the cameraman flashing lights, and focus on one thing, the hoop. And it seems so easy. Uh, free throws, uh, I used to pay my sister a penny per shot if she would throw the ball back to me. Uh, that was a steal and a ripoff. I think I was the evil one in this, in this case here, right? And she'd get a buck for like every hundred free throws that I'd shoot in our backyard. And uh, I thought I, I was winning, right? And I was, I, I was wickedly winning, actually. I, I should confess that, right, as I catch that <laughs> right now. Because a penny is n- not worth it to throw somebody the ball back. But, um, uh, but, you know, you shoot and you improve and improve and improve. And, uh, you know, you start working on your percentage and I would track uh, professional athletes and their free throw percentage and what I could hit in the backyard. But it's a big difference, right? With no distractions, with just myself and my sister. Like I would get mad at her, right? No patience. Uh, get mad at her if she didn't throw the ball perfectly at the point, like right here, right? If you catch the ball low, it throws you out of your sink. And you get like, you get like this, then you got to like reset your feet and get it right again, right? I'm like, no, you got to throw it right here. So I catch it and just go right into my my my. Uh, mechanics, right? And so, um, but that's part of this reality is the distractions in life can throw us off guard and can cause us to not uh, achieve the end goal because we take our mind off of the end goal and we let our mind be focused on the things of this world. As we continue through this text, I want us to observe a stark contrast in the present, in the here and now and the future for the wicked and the righteous. In 37, 12 to 22, it's the here and now. Uh, The earthly activity of each side. The first 11 verses, the wicked were pretty much humanistic, atheistic, and focused on them achieving their own wealth and uh, power in this world. And and the next set of verses, we see a a decisive shift uh, on uh, uh, the, the wicked's part. They shift their attention from amassing wealth to oppressing and attacking uh, the righteous. But it's all focused in this section 
on uh, the here and now. In the next section, our third major thrust of this text, we'll see the shift uh, from the present to the future. So judge. Judge, we see this in 37, 2, 9, 10, 12 to 15, 17, 20, 22, 28, 34, 35, and 36, and 38, right? All of those verses talk about the Lord judging the wicked. Hopefully that gives them confidence. Hope it gives us confidence uh, that we can trust in the Lord when we see that he's uh, a judge and will judge wickedness. The Lord will judge in the present and final justice in the future. The temporary success of the wicked should not undermine our confidence in God's justice and his goodness. Here we are in verse 12. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees his day coming. In the New Testament, I want us to see this because it can cause sometimes some some challenge for us when we think about the Lord's judgment not being now, but being a, a little far off. In 2 Peter 3, 3 8 to 10, it says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord, with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, wishing that any uh, that wishing not wishing that any would perish but that all should reach repentance but the day of the lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and its works that are done on it will be exposed right this concept um the lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness Secondly, protect, right? Verse 17 says, For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. This is seen elsewhere in this text as well. Third, provide. In 17, uh, 17, 21, 24, and 25, we see this concept of the Lord providing for his people. It says, The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives for those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land but those cursed by him shall be cut off, right? We're called to do this, right? We're called to be a blessing. This text actually says the righteous will be generous and bless. Um, you know, this, this sense of uh, protecting and providing, you know, in our, our church culture, uh, we have outreach ministries, ministries that serve the, um, the people in, in our, our culture and community who are commonly... Uh, downcast or forgotten right missions is a major category that is something that we want to highlight next weekend so we as a church not only send people and if we can't go we send right that uh, sending actually takes resources to make that happen um in addition we have local ministries right we have local and global we have local ministries uh that reach out to um the poor and needy in our community uh, called hope in action hope in action recently got a contract uh, with Costco. Pastor Zach talked about that and kind of shared that excitement. Uh, Pastor Roberto shared recently that they have such an abundance of food that we are now going to expand the number of cities that we offer to serve, uh, including, I think, San Pedro and Long Beach, as people can come to our church to receive, uh, you know, food each week. In addition to that, right, in your bulletins this week, we're celebrating 
uh, the disabled ministry of our church that has a, a 40-year legacy uh, that uh, just a humble ministry for many, many years, but finally uh, we've been able to uh, do quite well in the area of uh, helping people with disabilities get jobs and empowering them. And the Beach Reporter took note of that and wrote a story about them, and it's in your bulletin. In the New Testament, right, we're called, right, to be like Christ, to follow God's lead and protect and provide for those whom we can support and empower. Third, when the wicked win, trust the Lord in his divine deliverance. This section most effectively breaks down into two subsections. A, the Lord will preserve his people, and B, the Lord has a future for the faithful. In the first section, verses 23 to 29, in these seven verses, uh, are they're educational and evangelical. They provide direction for believers. So there's a shift again here, right, not focusing on uh, this kind of uh, divide between rich and poor, and in the next section, uh, the dichotomy between the wicked and the righteous. This section is uh, God speaking directly to his people and uh, ex- expecting that he's going to provide divine deliverance, and in this first section, that he will preserve his people. Verse 27 to 29, we'll read together, starting at verse 27. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. This text gives Israel hope to inherit the land. This is seen in 37, 9, 11, 22, 29, and 34. God's covenant promise that they would live in the land of Canaan. Right? And how are we as a modern Christian to understand this? Is there a sense in which this promise to Israel applies still to us as modern believers? See, we're in the New Testament where the specific Old Covenant blessings and curses described in Deuteronomy are obsolete. Hebrews 8.13, Galatians 3.29 tells us that everyone in Christ is still heirs of the promise of Abraham. In the New Covenant, we have a fuller picture of the promise of Abraham, principally that they are soteriological and eschatological. They have blessings that pertain to salvation and eternal life. That the, the curses and condemnation are for eternity in hell. Um, these verses show us that we are free to express ourselves to God. Uh, that God hears our prayers. That he may not take us out of our immediate situations. But that we may grow through it. And ultimately, right, that, that that's, uh, eternal life is ahead of us. Prayers are not ineffective. Prayer is about submission to God. That we faithfully pray, faithfully obey and no matter what the decision is. B, the Lord has a future for the faithful. Our trust in the Lord shifts our values from the things of this world, wealth, and power to seeing the immense and eternal value of living for God. Earlier in our text, we saw the contrasting presence. Right In this closing section, as we saw the word future uh, uh, used three times right in, in that last section, or forever used three times, and in this section, the word future is used. Uh, Let us see this together, starting in verse 37 uh, and 38. Verse 37, Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace, but the transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. 
right? The motivation to be patient, to wait on the Lord, to vindicate uh, the righteous is based on the character of God and the hope that we have for eternal life with him. The fight of faith is not done in our own strength as New Testament believers. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that and that he will achieve and has achieved on the cross our salvation. So if it seems that there are going to be some temporary losses in your life, some times of, of trouble, trial, or challenge, that's why Jesus said to count the cost. In Luke 14, 25 to 33, the Christian life is not mainly loss, it's mainly gain. Right? If you think about Pascal's wager and this concept of if you look at uh, the trials in this life and the, 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 the cost of that versus the immense value and gain through salvation, through Christ, and eternity in heaven with him. For the joy that was set before him, Christ endured the cross. It's only a matter of timing, and the timing of this psalm challenges us to endure patience, endure the presence, uh, and focus on the future. The pinnacle and conclusion of this psalm ends with this in verses 39 and 40. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. When the wicked win, trust the Lord and honor him. When the wicked win, trust the Lord will judge, protect, and provide. When the wicked win, trust the Lord and his divine deliverance. In conclusion, the cross of Christ is the greatest symbol right, of human sin and fallenness. And the greatest symbol and fulfillment of Psalm 37, the cross of Christ, is the intersection of sin and salvation. And we may, if we can understand the magnitude of that reality, and may we live in such a way that on Judgment Day we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's take a time to pray. Dear Lord, we just come before you and we prepare our hearts for communion and offering. As we approach the communion table, let us reflect on this text. Let us reflect on our life situations when we saw the wicked win in our lives, when we experienced great trial or difficulty, and maybe we experienced some anger, disillusionment, doubt. Lord, we pray that you would heal that, that you would let us learn from this text, learn from the life of David, learn from the life of Jesus who endured the cross so we may live. Let it free us. Let it heal us. Let it offer us to live anew. Lord, as we take these moments to prepare our hearts for communion, that we would all come forward, receive the elements and hold them and then take them together because the church is about a united body who gathers together to support, encourage, and band together under the banner of Christ for your glory. Amen.